This is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with the great and powerful Lucas Root. In this one, we discuss a foundational reason why so many are suffering from depression. We discuss seeking and cultivating community. We dive into Luke's story, how he went on an endurance hunt when he was 15 up in the mountains of Vermont, how he develops his intuition, how he went from working on Wall Street to finding something new to pursue and much more. And if you dig Peak Earth and you'd like to contribute, here are a few ideas. You could ride a bicycle across the country, whatever country you live in, with a big flag that says Peak Earth. And ideally, you'd get a large amount of media attention for this endeavor. You could leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. Those always give me good vibes and help. You could write and record a, a hit single about the podcast, the, the kind that's played on everybody's radio across the world. It, the kind that's like, you know, played at proms and football games. That'd be pretty cool. So just a few ideas. You don't have to do any of that. I really appreciate you listening. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Lucas Root. How's it going? Ace, my friend, it's going well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Stoked to be with you. You may not know this, but you were actually the very first person that I've ever met from the internet. Never been on an online date, never networked professionally, never met anyone through the internet and then met with them in real life. So you were the first person I met uh, in real life from this thing that we call the internet and, and now here we are recording a podcast really excited for this one yeah i didn't know that but that's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> let's tell them how it happened so that so that someone else can do it too yes well let's see thinking back so we, i've we connected on twitter yes and uh we we had some really good conversations you were exploring diet a lot um, and, and now that's one of the things you talk about a lot, but it's not the only thing. So you're exploring diet a lot. Um, I don't remember who found who or, or how that happened, but we connected and we started talking and we just, you were, you were asking questions and I was given some, given some thought and some feedback and like, here are the things that I'm thinking about and here's how I'm focusing and like, and it, and it just was fun. Like we just had fun talking to each other. And if anybody goes and looks at our tweets, like we have fun. Even now we have fun talking to each other. And, uh, I was driving through LA. Um, I, I mean, I, I reached out ahead. I, it wasn't a drop in, but I was driving through, I knew I was going to be driving through LA and I just reached out and said, Hey, I'm driving through, uh, you want to do coffee? Yeah. And the, at the root of this was both of us just sharing our authentic minds on the internet and through that, just seeing what happens, not trying to do anything real specific with, the technology, just sharing our thoughts and, and looking for authentic connections. And it is, is kind of amazing because I was the first one since then I've, I've been able to make more friends, meet up with more people. So that was, that was the first one. And I remember meeting you and, and having a discussion and you kind of blew me away as, as someone who was a, a genius. I was like, wow, this guy's hyper intelligent, knows a lot about a lot. He's got all these deep stories. And, and that was another unique part of that moment. And I have a question in mind, which is, have you always been like that? Did you, growing up, were you always very aware of, of the way that the world worked? And um, did you excel in, in school? And 
Um, yes and no. Uh, yes, I'm, I've, I've always been extraordinarily inquisitive about everything. The, the, the question why, and as I've matured, I've asked the question why much better. So it's, it, you know, now in my maturity, I'm not as confronting when I ask the question why, but it still is the question I'm asking all the time of everything. Like, hey, I see this thing. Why? Why is it there? Why is it that way? Um, it's it's less direct and abrupt, but it's still like that is my question. That's my MO. Um, and it's and that has always been true. Um, yes, I excelled in school. I did very, very well um, on tests. <laughs> And it's important to, to stress that on tests. So where, where tests were the way that your grade came out, then I had good grades. But where there were other things that contributed to grades, I didn't have good grades. <laughs> and for anyone listening, we're both from New England. Luke's from Vermont. I'm from New Hampshire. And now we both live in California. So previously, we were both in Southern California. That's where we were able to link up. We were able to grill, have some steaks, drink some coffee, talk all about all kinds of aspects of, of life and, and our, our mission and our vision. And I learned a lot from Luke. He's currently hosting a podcast called Elements of the Community, an excellent podcast about the concept of community, which is certainly something we'll talk about today, something we've talked about previously and something that I'm fascinated by, you're fascinated by. What, what drives yeah. your curiosity in the realm of community? So, um, awesome question. Thank you. <laughs> the, the first question, why? was why is everyone depressed? Um, and when you when you look around and you see so many people depressed, and then you see like two people that aren't depressed. And then, so now I ask the question, why why are those two people not depressed? Like what what do they have that everyone else doesn't? Um, and, and the answer isn't drugs. <laughs> that's not the answer. I mean, like in the US, it would be easy to come to that conclusion, but that's not the answer. Um, and, you know, I, I looked around, I asked the question, I, I interrogated, that's, that's a thing I like to do. I like to interrogate an idea, like ask the hard question of the idea. Um, I interrogated the idea in my own mind. And then with people that I know and trust who, who trust me enough to be able to dig in with something, to interrogate an idea alongside me. Um, so when I'm asking why in a hard way, they know it's not about them. It's about the idea. We're getting into it and we're going at it, right? Um, so I interrogated the idea and what I discovered was the people that aren't depressed have people around them that love them and support them in some version of unconditionality all the time. And I, and I looked at that and I was like, holy shit, like that really matters. That's amazing. Like why do, why do those two people over there have it? And everyone else doesn't what, what's, what's going on here. And so I, I dug in, I asked why. I interrogated the idea. And um, I came to this conclusion, this theory that I have. Um, and, and here's the big statement, the big hairy statement, the, the slap in the face. The slap in the face is Maslow was wrong. Abraham Maslow, when he put together his hierarchy of needs, he was wrong. Uh, food, water, and shelter are not your first need. It turns out, and and you and I, we had inklings of this from our dietary approach, but I hadn't connected it. It didn't make sense to me yet in, in, the, in, the, in the hierarchy of needs. It turns out that we can't get food, water, and shelter unless we have a tribe that supports us, that loves us unconditionally, that will stand at our back and go hunting with us. We can't get our food. We can't keep our shelter 
We don't know where to find the water. And it's amazing when you think about that from the perspective of the world we live in now, where all we have to do is go over to the faucet and turn it on and there's water. And so it's easy to forget that community is actually level one. That is your most basic need. Profound. What's, what's coming to mind is community, in a way it is food, water, and shelter. I know you had a recent quote on a podcast episode I listened to. You said something along the lines of, we are not human alone. We are only human together. That's exactly it. So true. Yeah. When, when we're, when we're not humans and you know, um, we can take this down to the microcosm too. Um, if you take a cell out of your body, a, a living cell, and you put it into a Petri dish with all of the nutrients that it needs to continue to survive and study it, the behavior of that cell that you will see, and this is a cell that was born in your body, that was born into the community of your body. The behavior that you'll, you'll see in that cell um, starts to become something akin to insane. It will gobble up resources like crazy. It will, it will um, throw out uh, feelers. It'll, it'll start to behave in a way that if it were in the community of your body, um, your body would reject it. Your body would say, nope, you're not being sane. We don't need that. How profound is that? When you, when, you, when you take just the little piece, the littlest piece of you outside of the community, even when you give it everything it needs, it stops being sane. I think that's absolutely something that is true with humans as well who are who are isolated. I remember reading something along the lines of loneliness being as detrimental to the health of one's body mind as, as smoking cigarettes. Have are you, have you familiar with that sort of metaphor? Yeah. Yeah. And it and it makes sense. Oh, and perhaps even contributes, you know, the the former contributes to the latter. Being alone is terrible. You don't have your most basic need covered, your most basic need. We are not humans alone. We're just an animal. When we're alone, we're just an animal. We don't become humans unless we are together. Now, don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is not stop being an individual. I, I am and I always will be the man that you see here, the man that you hear. We as individuals, we make the community. So we can't be one without the other, and we can't be the other without the one. <laughs> we are not community without the individual, but we also are not truly human until we are in community. And there's more power to being in community outside of simply harmonizing with a higher level of, of holistic health, which is exceptionally important on the face of it. We also get the benefit from this almost a, a special sort of synergy or mm. um, homeostasis, or some form of deeper cellular communication that's happening at the level of our hollow biome. You know, the bacteria that's floating all around us is communicating with each other and, and we're picking up scents and all kinds of new information. I, who knows what's happening? Dreams could be passing back and forth. There, there's a lot that's happening on that level that is probably not even explored on a scientific level. Oh my God, what a beautiful riff. <laughs> That was awesome. Everybody press the 30 seconds back button and listen to that again. Wow. Yes. All of that. Yes. So much. <laughs> um, we are greater than the sum of our parts. And 
you go back to my previous example, take a single cell out and study it. That single cell will do some things, but we as a human, we are greater than the sum of our parts and it grows. That's even more true in community. That's even more true when it's a group of humans working together to achieve great things. We are greater than the sum of our parts and it's phenomenal. What's coming to mind is my previous experience with being significantly more lonely, spending a lot of time by myself and and hurting as a result of that and not knowing what to do to find other people who are like-minded. It's so easy to become isolated and say, oh, well, I'm an introvert. Like I'm happy by myself. I've got you know my streaming services. I've got the internet. You know, I have my job where I can go and interact with people and then come home. But there was something missing. I wasn't sure how to find that missing puzzle piece and then put it into place. Mm. Do you have any thoughts for how one in that position, which I'm sure many millions are, how would they go about relining themselves back, back into a community, finding community to be a part of? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Um, and your example is the perfect example. Um, you and I, we both did the same thing when we were trying to find people that we resonate with, that we can really be love with. You know, not in the hold hands and sing kubaya way. Although if that's your space, you know, go do that. Um, figure out what it is that you love to do. This is general advice. Figure out what it is that you love to do. This is the exact same advice I gave to my friends when we were 22 and they were trying to figure out how to get a girl. Figure out what it is that you love to do and go do that thing. If you love to read, go to the library and spend all your time there. Go to Barnes and Nobles and spend all your time there. If you love to hike, go hike. What's amazing is that the people that love to do those things, they're going to be doing them and they're going to eventually occupy the same space as you while you do them. And then you'll bump into each other. And the first time you might not even notice, oh, I just bumped into somebody. I was out hiking. Somebody passed me. The second time you might not notice. The third time you might not notice, but eventually you're going to be like, wait a minute. That's somebody who loves to do the same thing I love to do. Maybe I should say hi. And maybe you do, maybe you say hi. And maybe the other person is so surprised by the fact that there's someone else in the world that loves to do the thing that they love to do. And maybe they'll just blow by you because it wasn't even a possibility for them to say hi. But listen, that's not about you. They're stuck in their own world. Try it again, say hi to the next one. And the one after that and the one after that. And eventually somebody's gonna say hi back and it's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be beautiful. Yeah, those micro moments of connection that could potentially lead to untold levels of deeper connection. It all starts with that one moment of taking a chance, taking a a risk, a small, potentially anxiety-provoking risk of of opening our mouth to extend your voice into someone's eardrum to let them know, hey, I'm here too. I exist and I'd like to connect. Yep. Beautifully said. That's how you and I met. You you were doing the thing that you love to do. You were thinking out loud about food, about diet, about exploring your own health, just thinking out loud. You weren't even projecting. You were just thinking out loud. And that's a great point as well. If, if someone's listening and they feel a little too much anxiety to be reaching out in public in, in real time, doing it through the internet isn't little bit of a a safer sandbox to be able to explore self-expression and connection because sending a message, writing a comment, 
um, a direct message is, is a much lower bar because it's, it's not like something has to be done right away in, in the moment. You know, there, there's a lot less pressure, although there's also it, it's lower risk, lower reward. So there's also going to be, um, you know, the connection won't be as strong unless you then are able to connect in real life and, and share, you know, heart space with someone and, and eye contact and, and laughter. So I think that that's another good um, way for people to connect because Luke and I have connected that way and then it's gone on. So these, these are, you know, I've made friends through this method. I know that it works. I, I think there's probably a lot of potential to be explored here as like a way to help alleviate mental depression and say like, hey, share your authentic self online, find other people doing the same thing, then connect with them and meet up. And like, that's sort of an, this unexplored thing that's new to me as a, you know, 32 year old man who's only, you know, I've found out about this over the past year. It's wild. I had no idea about this, this part of life. Yeah. So cool. I love it. Um, let me riff on that a little. So most people, and I, I see it in the way that we talk in the world today too. Most people think that community and neighborhood are the same thing. And, and I'd like to disavow you of that. Um, I, I see it in the way we talk. I see people talking about their global village. Um, and, and I love it. Yeah, go get your global village. And also let's separate community from neighborhood. Let's separate community from village. You don't actually require proximity to be in community. It's not necessary. Um, and technology has made it possible for us to be in community and never actually physically meet ever. One of my best friends lives in Florida and has never been to the West Coast. And I haven't been to Florida. He and I have never shook hands. We've never hugged. We speak on the phone probably twice a week. Community is an amazing thing. And it doesn't require physical proximity because of the phenomenal technology that's available to us today. That very same technology, this, this devil device that takes you away from your humanity can also bring you into humanity. Amazing. Very well said. And, and I'm addicted to it. <laughs> I'm not addicted to scrolling through Instagram and looking at bikini pics. No. I'm addicted to connecting. I'm addicted to sharing. I'm addicted to you, Case. I'm addicted to the kinds of connection that you and I share. And in, in that way, it's almost like saying that you're addicted to steak, you know, almost like saying you're addicted to, health, to healthy food, to nourishing food, where maybe, maybe addiction. I am definitely addicted to steak. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> You do you do have some some great quality steak. To be, to be fair, I think you mentioned that you've got um, a, a local farm nearby with raises the cows, and you go meet meet the cow on, on a regular basis before it's it's processed for you, and, and uh, you've got that in your freezer to to enjoy. Yeah, um, when I lived down in San Diego, I'd make the 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 farm is actually about an hour drive from where I live now near San Francisco. So when I lived in San Diego, I'd drive up once or twice a year just to go meet the cows because. Steak doesn't come from the supermarket. It comes from an animal. And if I love that animal while it's growing, then I get some of that love back when that animal has passed on and is donating its life force to my health. If I love that animal enough to show up and make sure that that animal is living a loved life, not just by auditing my farmer, but by giving the animal the love myself, it's not about auditing. It's about contributing. Now, now I live about an hour's drive. I go once a month. 
I contribute love to that animal once a month. That's a powerful idea. Yeah. Did you come up with that idea or did you hear that from another source? Um, I, I don't have a source in mind. I, I, I'm not going to claim that it's an original idea that, that, that approach is floating around in the, you know, in the, in the paleo slash carnivore world. Um, so I, I don't, I don't have someone to attribute it to, but, but I don't, I don't believe it came from me. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of a story you told me once about leaving your house. I think you were 17 in Vermont and just going on an endurance hunt. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I was actually 15. Um, yeah. And I went on an endurance hunt. So uh, here's what's kind of cool. A, um, a human going on an endurance hunt alone, it turns out, is relatively impossible unless you have really, really specific circumstances that make it possible. You need to be able to um, isolate an, a single animal inside basically a ravine that lasts for miles so that the animal can't... Hear, Here's what animals do. They every single animal in the world can outsprint us, except maybe a sloth. And so what it'll do is it'll be like, oh, you you want some of this? It'll sprint out ahead. It'll circle around and rejoin the the its herd. And now you have no idea which one is the one that's tired. There's no way for you to win that 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 hunt. There's no way for you to win that fight. You're outmatched. But if you manage to get one of them into a ravine. Well, now you have a chance, but it's got to be a really long ravine. Well, what's funny is that you and I grew up in the middle of a really long ravine. We grew up in the mountains of, of Vermont and New Hampshire. It is actually possible to isolate a single animal and chase it for, for 15, 20 miles. Um, makes you wonder. Was humanity created in the mountains of Vermont? Now, we know that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> we we know that it that that that's not the way it happens, and when we look at other mountains, we we see that the valleys in between them are are much bigger than the valleys you and I grew up with, and so maybe the whole herd would have been able to run with that one animal you wanted to catch. And again, now you can't win that fight. Um, so what I learned when I was doing that was the um, unique scenario that made it possible for me to go on an endurance hunt all by myself because the animal couldn't circle around and and reconnect with its herd because of me the predator chasing it down and this really unique scenario where it couldn't get away from me to the sides i also learned that it's a dance it's a dance kind of like the tango. It's a dance where you and the animal are in lockstep. And each and every time one of you makes a move, the other one has to make a move to compensate. And it's a beautiful dance. And at the end of that dance, if you haven't come into perfect harmony with that animal, it's going to get away. You don't win. And if you have come into perfect harmony with that animal, the only way to kill it is with absolute love. With reverence, the deepest reverence, with, with gratitude for the sacrifice that nature is providing for you through that animal. Because you're in perfect harmony and how else could you move forward from there? Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating 
piece of wisdom and, and experience that not many, at least in the modern world, have have had an endurance hunt. This, that's just you and, and a knife, right? Just on foot? Yep. Me, shorts, a knife, and sneakers at that time. I would do it barefoot if I were doing it now. <laughs> do you know if that's something that, that is offered in, in certain places as, as an experience? Or is, is that more of a sort of a solo endeavor? Um, there, as far as I know, there are no experiences. It can be done. Uh, so if you read the book Born to Run... Uh, the author, Christopher McDougall, um, writes about going to Africa and spending a really significant amount of time with uh, one of the one of the still paleo tribes, still hunter-gatherer tribes. And, um, and they went out and did an endurance hunt, and he was invited to join them. Um, and, and, and they succeeded. Uh, so he got to experience it, and he got to experience it in a way I still haven't. I haven't been able to experience it at peak human power. You know, we are um, we are extraordinary um, at noon in the savanna. We as an animal, we are the gods of noon in the savanna. <laughs> when the when the sun is beating down, and every single animal is just. Um, overwhelmed with the heat that's when we shine and he got to do that he got to go do it and um one of the things that's most powerful about that is right at the end of the hunt when they'd succeeded they've gotten there he collapsed next to the um i think it was a kudu he collapsed next to it and uh in his harmony, and he didn't use the same language I'm using, but in his harmony, he had gotten to the point where he was hunting the animal in the exact same wavelength. And when it collapsed from exhaustion, he did too. Wow. Was reading that book what sparked your interest to go and, and take that on? Uh, Born to Run was written um, 12 years ago in 2010, I think. And I was 15 a few more years ago than that. <laughs> so what led you to, to go do that did, did you just have a, an intuitive sort of desire to to just go ahead and go out there yes yeah i had i had no guidance just just this this pull this draw like this is the thing that you're doing like uh, uh, you know the voice of the divine speaking to me but not in words just like i was being drawn into it what other key moments or big moments come to mind when you think about that intuitive draw, that voice of the divine leading you down a path? Awesome question. I love it. I went hiking my uh, my sophomore year of college. I, I, I didn't get a job. I, I spent $1,000 on hiking gear, which is probably way more than somebody who's 20 years old should be doing. Um, and uh, I, I took off into the woods of Maine and New Hampshire probably pass by your house. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I went hiking and halfway from, from, uh, Mount Katahdin, which is the North end of Maine, um, halfway from there to the bottom end of New Hampshire is, um, this, this particular set of the Appalachian mountains, it's very rugged, nearly untouched. It's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and I, I went through this particular one, um, called Camelback Mountain. And there are probably lots of Camelback Mountains. And this one was in Southern Maine. So Camelback Mountain and a storm came in 
uh, and this was middle of July, and the storm came in full force. As I went over the, the, the peak of the first portion of Camelback Mountain, the wind was probably 70 miles an hour. I, I was leaning into it, like really trying to struggle through the, the wind to get over the peak of the mountain. And I'm there in shorts and a t-shirt, 70 mile an hour winds, and it starts snowing. Um, now, I'm not particularly cold sensitive, not then, still not now. Um, so the fact that it was snowing was not really a turnoff to me. I had no problem with that. Um, but as I was coming down the other side of that mountain, it was probably three in the afternoon. I could have kept going for hours. Um, I got a hint. I got a, a kick. I got that intuitive touch that said, you, you got to stop. And I don't know why. I, I was I was in great shape. Really, I could have kept going for another five or ten hours. I don't I don't know why. Still to this day, I don't know why. And so I went into the the, the crevice in between the two camelbacks on Camelback Mountain. I went into the crevice, and there's a, a lean to, so a three sided um, tent, right? A three sided structure. It didn't have the fourth side. I I went into this lean to. It was completely empty. Nobody's there. Um, it's just me and my dog. And I, I set up my tent and I, you know, cooked some food and ate it. And I was, I was happy. I was wet and a little bit cold, but I was going to be fine. Um, and, uh, as I was getting ready to go to bed, this intuitive hit came in again and said, take the dog to bed with you. Um, I, I never, I never take her to bed. Like that's, she, she does not need to sleep in, in my arms. Like that is not the way we are like, no. Uh, but, but I, but I listened and, uh, I woke up the next morning, um, and there was three feet of snow and we went to bed wet. Now, I, again, I was fine. I slept through the night. I had no problem. Um, if I had not brought my dog to bed with me, she probably would have died. Um, year and a half old, uh, black lab pup. She probably would have died. So we get up the next morning and uh, she survived. And I'm, I'm looking at that saying, huh, interesting. Something helped me through this. Something helped her through this. We get up the next morning and, uh, you know, I, I hop out of the tent. I go down into the, into the snow to, to relieve myself because that's what you do in the mornings, right? I see some tracks. And as I'm, as I'm scrubbing the sleep out of my eyes, um, I'm taking a look at the tracks and I realize they were bare. So if the cold hadn't killed her, she might've become food. I pack up, I eat some food, got the, I got the pack on my back. We're heading out and, uh, we had, we head up towards the trail to go over the other side and I get up to the top and the, the view was stunning. It was absolutely amazing. I took an hour and, and hung out on the second peak of Camelback mountain and just, just took in the morning of, of the day after this, you know, serious storm had, had come through. Now I'm heading down the other side of that and I notice some more tracks. Um, and I notice that those tracks come from a thing. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm passing through anyway. The tracks coincide with the trail that I'm standing on. And so I, I walk down, I follow the tracks a little bit. Nobody else has been through like there's nobody's crazy enough to have tried to, to brave that mountain through that, except me, of course. Um, and, uh, the, the tracks leave the trail and then just over there, just slightly further on, um, I see burrowing. So I, you know, I, 
the, the tracks were heading the other way. The bears aren't still there. I know it was bears. So I went up and looked at it and I realized that the bear were hanging out in that one spot um, waiting for the storm to pass. So if I had decided to move through, I would have probably actually tripped over a mother bear and her cubs. And I wouldn't have seen it coming because it was in the middle of a whiteout storm. And here I am, a, a, a you know, a, an, an overly capable 20 year old um, young man with no fear of the world, I would have tripped over a bear, a mother bear and her cubs. There is no way I survived that encounter. Like there is no way I come out the other end of that encounter with, with myself in, in health. Um, so twice, twice that day, I, I got, I got saved from accidentally tripping over a bear. And then my dog got saved from becoming food for that bear. Wow. Do you have any perception or conception of, of what that, what that is, that, um, intuitive sort of hint? Yeah, but I don't claim to be a source of truth on this. Just my truth. Um, I've, I've taken the time in my adult life as a, as a, as a young man, I, I, I marveled at what had happened and otherwise dismissed it. Um, so, you know, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe it wasn't. Who cares? I am what I am now. Right. Um, I marveled it and dismissed it, but, um, in my, in my late twenties, early thirties, which at this point now is still quite a ways away, quite a ways back for me, um, in my uh, in my late twenties, early thirties, I I started building a relationship with that intuition. Um, I started to to listen, listen more, um, have conversations with it, ask it questions, ask it why, and to my surprise, the the source of those uh, directives, the source of that truly life-saving intuitive hit started to have conversations back with me. Um, and again, this is just the relationship I have. I don't claim to be a source of truth on it, but that's how it started for me as I started to have these, these conversations and the source started to have conversations back. And, and I experienced those conversations in language, in words, um, in pictures, in, in moving video, uh, kind of like in dream state, um, but, but not. It happens to me when I'm awake. It also happens when I'm asleep. Um, and after a while, those conversations and that relationship grew pretty deep for me. Um, and to the point where I needed to have a name for that entity. Uh, and God didn't quite work. That, that wasn't quite the right name for me. That's not to say that it wouldn't be for someone else who's in a similar situation. But that wasn't quite right for me. So... Um, I started to go into discovery. I interrogated the idea. I, I asked a lot of why. And uh, the name that I discovered for this entity that, that speaks to me in my head um, is Gaia, the spirit of the earth. And my relationship with her continues to grow and continues to deepen. Um, and I wouldn't call myself a shaman. I haven't been trained as one. I wouldn't call myself a priest. I haven't been trained as one. I, I'm just a guy that has conversation and they're pretty cool. That is amazing. I love the concept of Gaia and just to sort of position this in my mind and, and within your life trajectory, your, your journey, was this around the time where you were 
contemplating leaving Wall Street? You were still on, on Wall Street during this time around around ten years ago. Yes, and and such a good question too. So I dismissed the intuitive hits that I was getting. I didn't ignore them. I just dismissed them. Um, maybe it was luck. Uh, so I, I dismissed them and carried on and I continued to be a normal young man. Um, and I, I went to college and, and knocked it out the park. I did very well in college. Um, and then I went and got a job on wall street and I was so immersed in the opposite of true humanity. I mean, truly it is the opposite of true humanity. I was not in community. I didn't have people that loved me and cared for me except my parents, but they were a long ways away and we weren't in regular communication because I was immersed in this not human experience um, that's fueled by uh, by other things. It's fueled by um, money, which isn't real. It's fueled by technology, which can make things real, but it can also make things not real. Uh, it's fueled by disconnectedness. Um, you know, the, the idea of 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 winning because you outtraded somebody. When I look at the world and I see the absolutely extraordinary abundance that we as humans have created together, why why do we need traders that focus on winning? Why do we need that? How is that serving us? Well, at the time I didn't see that. I I wasn't asking that question why. I was asking different questions why. And I spent a decade um, Im so immersed in that, that I couldn't hear the goddess talking to me in my head. And, um, at some point it got, it wore thin. The veneer of excitement, uh, was no longer exciting. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't doing well. I was doing very well. It wasn't that, um, the environment wasn't plentiful. It was very plentiful but it was no longer exciting. I didn't love it. I never loved it. I didn't love it. And it wasn't fun anymore. And so I started asking different why questions. Why am I here? Why did I think this would be a great idea? Um, the training was phenomenal. The training serves me even today. I, I honed my skills as a strategist in ways that probably nothing other than playing chess with a chess master every day would have done for me. It, it was amazing. The training was phenomenal. Why am I here? What am I doing? How am I serving myself and humanity? How am I making this world of such extraordinary abundance a better place? And when I didn't like the answers, I decided that it was time to start making changes. And the first change that I made was change who I was listening to, change how I was listening. Wow. Yeah. Deep, deep, deep and powerful journey. So many questions come to mind. One reflection. Any of them start with why, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll start with one reflection and, and just see where see where that see where that brings you. It's it's just wild. I was imagining you know you're comfortably within you know a small subset of humanity with an elite level of an intelligence and, and capability and, and awareness. And on Wall Street, you're surrounded by people like that. And the task that they've lent this superior level of, of cognitive capability to is, you know, this activity of trading where we're, you know, looking for to make more money out of money, like kind of just generating wealth out of thin air. And in a way, I know there's so much more to it, but looking from abroad, it's not like you're 
there's not like a, I don't know, solving like these massive problems. It's sort of generating more wealth with, of course, has downstream benefits on on the economy and and maybe even some some consequences on a negative way on on the economy and and people's livelihoods. And, you know, there's there's a whole lot there, but it's fascinating that you're able to to wake up from that from that fog, from that frenzy, from that fervor and, and redirect your mind to something deeper, more important, more nourishing, more valuable for humanity as, as a whole. Well, I certainly am trying. Um, <laughs> and, and, and thank you. <laughs> the way that you're approaching life now, and I know you work as, as a consultant to help businesses do business better in, in a variety of different ways for a variety of, of different companies. And the project that you're working on to help us realign towards community is is somewhat of an, a, a new effort for you, although I'm sure it's something that you've been thinking about for a long time and, and been generating experience around. But how, how has this sort of new new in, endeavor, project, whatever you want to call it, um, how has that changed your life and, and, and shaped the way that you approach the, the day-to-day? I love it. Um, I'm back in startup mode, which is exciting and terrifying all at the same time, all in good ways. Um, I, I know what I'm capable of, but now I'm doing it in a whole new world um, with a whole new group of people, all of whom um, are amazing at what they do and are interested in, in helping me explore that. Um, I don't have an established stream of income in this new stuff. I, I still have my, my business strategy consulting income and it still pays me well. You can quit everything and dive in both feet and uh, take the chance. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I don't have to. And so I'm diving in with both feet while I'm still holding on to my safety rope. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think that, um, the, I don't think that the business strategy work that I do now will ever be irrelevant. I think that people who decide they want to hire me to help them with their community, to help them figure out how to build a community that is profitable for all the people in the community at all levels in ways that's um, that's abundantly growth-oriented. Can you imagine that? What a beautiful idea. Profitable for everybody at every level in ways that are abundantly growth-oriented. And I think the people that will hire me for that um, will consider the business strategy work that I do um, that continues to pay my bills now to be a benefit, not a negative. But I'm still back in startup mode. I, I made, and I don't mind sharing this, I made $150 this month um, in, in community and, and uh, you know, in community events that I have hosted. $150, which is amazing. It means there's something there. It means some people really enjoy showing up and playing with me. And it does not pay any of my bills. <laughs> there's so much more to go. <laughs> awesome yeah it's fascinating to think about from so many angles and i'm having a question come to mind and i'm wondering if you'd like to sort of play with me in this thought experiment so say that i wanted to start a community from from scratch it wanted to be something that people could come to um, in the Southern California area, maybe meet up at a, at a park or at the beach and explore some sort of movement practice or enjoy nourishing food. How would you go about 
generating that community? How would you like, what are some of the principles that you'd put in place? Some of the elements of community that you would, that you would want to make sure were nailed down so that this thing was flourishing and providing value for the entire community in an abundant way. Mm, what an awesome question. Yes. Um, the basics of the elements of community are um, common language, a common purpose, a project, and it doesn't just have to be one, but there must be projects, um, common value. And this is where I talk about profitable for people at all levels in all ways, abundant profit, common value, and then common heart. Those are the basic elements of community. And so um, the first place that I would start would be language and purpose. So what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the community? Are we going to show up and fine tune our bodies to be the machines capable of doing the amazing things that we want to do? If so, why? And is that how we're going to talk about it? Fine tune our bodies to be the machines that we're capable of being? If that's how we want to talk about it, then let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it just like that all the time. Let's talk out loud. Let's talk out loud where people are interesting in listening. Maybe, maybe in a podcast, maybe on Twitter, maybe on the street corner. Literally, the two of us just talking out loud on the street corner about fine-tuning our bodies. And maybe the version of talking out loud uses a combination of words and movements. Maybe we're doing flips off the building on the street corner and shouting, yeah, fine tune our bodies to be the machines capable of doing the cool things we want to do. Yeah. That's purpose and language and a project all wrapped up in one right there. And each time we do it, we get better at it. We fine tune our bodies a little bit more. We build our strength. We help our body get into that motion. And that is value. That's profit. It's not monetary profit. It's a different kind of profit, but it's still profit. When we're done, we walk away, we high five, we've got huge smiles and, and maximum like oxytocin. We're walking away absolutely filled with the delight of being able to work out and enjoy the sun and the air and each other. That's value. That's profit. And when we show up again tomorrow, and do the exact same thing again. And we're doing it just for the love of the game. We're doing it just because we love to fine tune the machine of our bodies to do the awesome things that we want to do. We're doing it because we love each other. That's common heart. And if we do that, if we do that thing that we love together and we do it loudly, Eventually, somebody else is going to show up and he's going to be like, hey, man, can I do flips on the corner with you? <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude, let's do it. <laughs> and then we're three. I love that vision and that framework. I can see that unfolding in so many different beautiful ways across the world with different communities, with different purposes, with different visions and values and languages. And what, what are some of the favorite communities that you've come across as you've hosted your podcast, done research, connected with others? 
what are some great like examples mm. of this happening out out there in the the wide world? Oh, love it! Great question. Mm, yes. Um, two of my favorite podcast interviews. I mean, truly, absolutely top notch favorite of all time favorite podcast interviews. One of them was with a priestess of ISIS. Um, and we talked about the community that she has built inside this approach to spirituality and the way of life that that approach made possible. Kind of like if we were doing flips on the corner and that approach to spirituality. Um, and she invited me to come and join her. And I did. I went. And uh, it just happened that the weekend that I was there was the birthday party of, of one of her closest friends. And it just happened that 15 people who weren't invited showed up and had an impromptu party for him right there while I was there. There was no invitation. There was no event planned. People just showed up. One of them had a cake. One of them had some alcohol. One of them brought some steaks. One of them brought some salads. And a party just formed around me. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. We ate, we drank, we laughed. And then there was a guitar and then there were drums and then there was singing. And I'm not even sure everybody knew the song, but everybody was singing along. Um, it was, it was legendary. It was mythical. It was the thing that we tell stories about inside our head as if, you know, that's what humanity could be, but that doesn't ever happen. Come on. That's not real. It's real. Wow. When, when you describe that story, I just think that's, that's the definition of good vibes. You know, when, when you hear people say, bring up good vibes, it's like, that's, that's it right there. You just, <laughs> you just described it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good vibe. <laughs> that's what a lot of us are missing. These, you know, you could say depression, the cause of depression is lack of good vibes. You know, it's not, it's not lack of Prozac. That's for sure. It's a uh, you know lack of good vibes. If you want to be use that lexicon, and, you know that you just described it in an excellent way. If, imagine having that on a regular basis. That would be so nourishing, so powerful. Yeah, yeah, so powerful, so nourishing. One hundred percent soul nourishment. And the second one is one that's right there in L.A. Um, amazing woman named Jessica. And. Uh, she does events and she invited me to show up to one and it was every bit as beautiful as the weekend that I went to ISIS. She does events that are like, um, I, I, I can tell you exactly what she does. I could recreate the entire thing from memory, but I won't. Um, go do it. Imagine the best hug that you've ever had, ever. The best hug you've ever had. Now let that settle in. Let, that, let the feel of that best hug ever settle in. Really settle into your body, your mind, your soul. Now imagine that it lasts for five seconds. Now 10. Now 15. Now 30 seconds. 30 seconds of a hug. And you're not pulling away. You don't want to pull away. It's amazing. 45 seconds. A minute. Two minutes. Now imagine that that's a stranger giving you that hug. 
and it's the best hug you've ever had and it's lasted two minutes long and you don't want to pull away. It's amazing. Now imagine a three-hour-long event with a hundred strangers and the entire event feels just like that. Jessica Ensel Coleman, she calls her events soul nutrients. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't come up with a better description than that. It's a beautiful description of the event and, and from you, of your experience at, at the event. It's hard to imagine that coming, you know, most hugs, I think, are just a couple seconds, you know, from my experience, let alone multiple minutes, especially with somebody that you just met. That's, it's wild to think about. I think that would make a lot of people uncomfortable, but I'm sure that there were um, activities or interactions prior to that hug that made it more of an acceptable and, and approachable experience. Yeah. Yeah. She's a master. I mean, truly a master at, at warming you up into the experience and setting the stage and making it possible for you to step into that beautiful experience that I just described and embrace it. So that the other person who's receiving the hug from you feels exactly the same way. It's beautiful. Both those, both those stories are very powerful, powerful looks into this fairly accessible modality, method, approach to what we could create in the world. We, we have each other. You know, I don't have to, to pay to interact with someone. We can just show up with, with our time, with our heart, with our smiles, with our laughter, and we can interact and we can enjoy that and at a time where things can seem pretty dark. If, if you look through the wrong windows, through the wrong outlets, we see, we see a lot of darkness out into the world. And, and here you are sharing a, a beautiful expression of light, this something that we can, we can embrace and, and integrate into this life into this future so that we experience a more abundant place, a more loving place, a more vibrant earth and, and humanity. And, and I, I deeply appreciate everything that you're doing to, to, to research and, and to formulate and, and to codify and to share all of this. I'm not even sure. My mind's a little bit blown after this conversation, <laughs> to be honest with you. Do you have any anything in mind that that, that comes to mind after after that rambling that, that I just uh, went on about how, how great all this is? Because it, it really is. And I'm, like I said, a little bit mind blown. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, so am I. So am I. I'm mind blown too. The, the more I step into this, the more I understand the foundations of us as a human animal, um, the more beautiful we are in our simplicity and our complexity. We don't need um, more layers. And that's what Prozac is, it's another layer. Um, we don't need more layers. We need more foundation. We need more hugs. We need to hug our brothers and our sisters, like you and I have. We need to hug the cow that's going to feed us. And the farmer who takes care of that cow. We need to hug a tree. It is transformational when you allow for the power of a hug and then share that power with a tree. What you get back is absolutely transformational. It sounds weird coming from the mouth of a Wall Street guy. 
Let me tell you, it is transformational. Powerful. And I have a, a deep appreciation and, and gratitude for you being a part of my community, not just through the digital sphere, but also in, in life, we've been able to meet up and, and grow some steaks and go for walks and have great talks and really appreciate you sharing your time with me on, on this podcast today as, as well. Is there any last sort of parting message or, or anything else that you'd, that you'd like to share with, with anybody listening before we, we go on? Yeah. Um, yes, thank you, <laughs> if I may. Um, read. Listen to podcasts. Um, reading is a front row ticket. It is an absolute front row ticket to the best quality message that an author has to deliver for you. It is their best stuff. It's been fine-tuned and honed through countless hours, tens of hours, hundreds of hours of practice and testing and community support. It's their best stuff. Read a book. And if the stuff in that book doesn't fill you with joy, read a different one. Don't give up on books. Give up on that one. Listen to podcasts. Because this is the best stuff you've got to share. Am I wrong? These are your best messages. These are your most valued connections showing up and having a powerful conversation with you. And they've tested their message tens or hundreds of hours with their community before they show up on this call with you to share with your audience. And go spend time in nature and allow these powerful ideas that you're getting from books and podcasts to really settle in and test them. Test them with your community. Test them with your friends and your family. Throw those ideas against the wall and see what sticks. What sticks for you, what's really powerful and motivates you to change in some small foundational way. Thank you, Sarit. Thank you. Ace, thank you so much. Love you, brother.